You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Jasper. And this is Randy. We watched two movies. Two Christmas movies. yippee ki you filthy animal. <laughs> I expected you to I expected you to jump on what I said. Really? Yeah. I kind of didn't catch it, I'm sorry. <sighs> yep. Hi, listener. <laughs> on this episode, uh, we're going to talk about definitely two definitely classic everyone considers them classic Christmas movies. Home Alone from 1990. What's what's the other Christmas movie we're talking about, Jasper? The non-Christmas movie Die Hard, nineteen eighty-eight. <laughs> yeah, Home Alone and Die Hard. Merry Christmas! This episode, and if you know, hey, if you don't celebrate Christmas, don't feel bad. Uh, we're not leaving you out. Happy holidays to you too. Uh, but this episode is dropping on Christmas Eve, which means by the time anyone cares to try to listen to it, they're going to be sick of Christmas talk. So we apologize. <laughs> but I couldn't resist the urge. Like our episode release date fell on Christmas Eve, and I was like, you know what? Let's do it anyway. Let's do it. We're gonna drop. We're gonna drop Home Alone and Die Hard on Christmas Eve, and now it's here. Happy holidays. This is our gift to you, Jasper. Yes, sir. Which of these fine Christmas classics would you like to start with? Start with Home Alone. Okay, Home Alone from 1990, written by John Hughes. Jasper, do you know who John Hughes is? Not off the top of my head, no. No? I didn't think so. He did like all the eighties all the eighties teen movies that everybody loves. Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, The Breakfast Club. Movies that Jasper probably doesn't even has never seen because somehow I've seen The Breakfast Club. Okay. Dude, all of his movies were run a million times on TV on the weekends as we were growing up. Even you. Yeah, you, you, you baby. Yeah, I remember Breakfast Club being a big one that was on TV a lot. Yeah, it was. Especially TBS. Have you ever, okay, total aside, have you ever seen the unedited version of Breakfast Club? Like the regular theatrical cut? Not on mm-hmm. TV? Dude, there's a whole scene where they get stoned. And all through, like, you know, the only time I'd ever seen it was when it was on TV, but I'd seen it a million times. On the weekends during the day, they run it. And unlike, you know, Fox or something. And that's the only way I had seen it until randomly, I don't know if I rented it or one of my friends rented it or they just had it and we watched it. And there's this whole little scene, this whole little minor plot about uh, them getting high that I had never seen before and I knew nothing of it and it blew my mind. I was like, what is this? But it's also completely ridiculous because they all get like supposedly get super stoned and they're all acting goofy. And then the next scene, they're all like completely clear eyed and fine. It's just like, no, this is all one yeah. afternoon. No, no, this is ridiculous. Anyway, written by him, John Hughes, uh, directed by Chris Columbus. 
Okay, I was, I was waiting to see if you like going to make a, a Columbus joke. I mm-hmm. did he sail the ocean blue? No, you're you're big, you're better than that. I'm sorry. Yeah, not a big fan of Columbus. So, you don't like America? Okay. <laughs> Chris Columbus, the the director, has also made a lot of a lot of movies over the years, starring Macaulay Colgan. I mean, this is what he's known for. Uh, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara, Roberts Blossom. Those are the main cast. And some minor people. Like John Candy shows up later. Minor people, you know. One of my favorite roles. actors. Is he? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. I'll be, well, then I'll be interested to talk to you about him in this movie. Overview. Eight-year-old Kevin McAllister makes the most of the situation after his family unwittingly leaves him behind when they go on Christmas vacation. When a pair of bungling burglars set their sights on Kevin's house, the plucky kid steadies. The plucky kid stands to defy. The plucky kid stands to defend his territory by planting booby traps galore. Adorably mischievous Kevin stands his ground. He's gonna stand his ground as his frantic mother attempts to race home before Christmas Day. Home Alone, Jasper. Had you ever seen this before? Multiple times. There was one of the ones played around at Christmas when we were kids. And then uh, my mom always starting to leave us home alone. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it was yeah, it was on rotation when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, me too. I, I rewatched this last night, and I was thinking about it as I was watching it and how my nostalgia is going to impact my score, and it absolutely will. But this came out in 1990. Kevin, you know, Macaulay Colgan's character, Kevin, is supposed to be eight. I was eight in 1990. I was the perfect age for this movie. So, yeah, I've seen this who knows how many times. A lot. Rewatching it last night, even though it's probably been easily almost two decades since I'd seen it last, like, I remembered almost everything. Like, it's just, I've seen this so many times. I like it. Uh, I will say though, rewatching it as an adult, because again, I don't think I've watched it since I was a kid or at least a teen, but rewatching it as an adult now, I think for the most part, here's my whole review. The stuff that stood up for me that like worked for me when I was a kid, for the most part, still works for me. The stuff that doesn't, the ridiculous stuff with the burglars, that stuff I thought was stupid when I was a kid and it's still stupid just the super like them being overly goofy. The main stuff that's different to me now is the slapstick, horrible, horrible violence seems so much more awful now to me. Right. I'm sure it seemed like it hurt when I was a kid watching it, but like now I was like, this is kind of awful. Like this is kind of horrific. The guy, when, oh God, when the guy steps on the nail, terrible that a dude getting his head caught on fire like the thing that always this always kind of got me a little bit was the doorknob specifically like he burns his hand on the doorknob and then throws it in the snow and pulls it out and it's got the big nasty m burn mark on it i was like that is awful so okay we jumped right to it jasper how how was this rewatch for you and do you think this is a good movie or do you think it's purely like a nostalgia thing. I liked it in the rewatch. I felt like I caught a couple of pieces. I don't remember. Usually probably cause I probably did watch this on TV. Yeah. You, you kind of think as an adult, like there's, 
that place is a lawsuit. Anyway. <laughs> That's my thing. I was like, what if maybe this is the adult thing to me, but I remember thinking this when I was a kid. I'm sorry to interrupt. What if anyone else came to the house? What if the neighbor guy come to the house? What if a cop came to, what if his parents got home and he's got like the doorknobs burning there's ice all over. How did he fix that before anybody got home? How is his mom not dead on the steps? Right. And he also cleaned that whole place up. That's kind of amazing. Sorry. What were we saying? Yeah. This this kid is, I'm a little, little worried. Like, I think he needs to go through some mental counseling as soon as he gets older, which actually Macaulay Culkin did. But, <laughs> but I mean, I would be kind of watching my kid after this kind of, kind of activity has been going on. Well, the parents know nothing of what happened. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, although they don't know anything about it. Yeah, I'll say Kevin's a jerk. Like, he's not he's not a good kid. And this is before, not to say he's, like, the worst kid, but, like, dude, some of the back-talking he does to his mom, like, some of the things he says to his mom at the beginning of the movie is unfathomable to me. Like, I hear him say it, I'm like, how, how did you get away with this? Like, how... Like, I, I don't know. I couldn't picture doing it. My parents would have flipped if I had like said some of the stuff to them when I was eight years old that this, that Kevin McAllister says to them that said, like they also do all kind of seem unjustly mean to him at the beginning. That whole, that whole scene in the kitchen, like I get how it happens. Like nobody's really good, but he's the one that happened to like get in a fight and knock a bunch of stuff over. I think for the most part, to me anyway, I feel like this movie holds up. It's it's a family-friendly movie. And just thinking about this movie compared to... Because this movie's got a lot of stupid stuff. It's got a lot of the usual family-friendly movie tropes and things that I hate. But I feel like this is just such, generally, such a higher quality version of that thing that it works, that it's fine. I think it stands out above most of the other family-friendly crap that I can't stand. And again, nostalgia is going to be part of it for me. And I don't. I think Macaulay Colgan in this is like, he's obviously super young. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes his acting's pretty bad. But, you know, he's a kid. Uh, little kids are not generally good actors. And I remember him being good in The Good Son. You ever see that? Uh, no, I don't think I, like, I remember hearing about it. I think I did watch a little bit of it, but I don't remember it. But he's not necessarily great in this. There's some, there's some cheesy stuff, but for the most part, I feel like it holds up. I think the most off-putting thing, assuming maybe you hadn't seen it or as a kid watching it now, I think the most off-putting thing is still kind of the violence. And I know it's all kind of cartoony, but it's like if they did cartoony violence and applied it to in a realistic way, kind of. And it just makes it, it makes that kind of off-putting. But it doesn't suffer, I know this is 1990, but it doesn't necessarily suffer from some of the 80s stuff. Like there's 80s kids movies would tend to still have like, they'd kind of be a little hardcore in certain respects in terms of like content. And I don't feel like this ever does this. It's pretty clean for the most part, <laughs> violence aside, horrible burning, burning and maiming aside. Horrible violence aside. Horrible, horrible violence aside, uh, it's a pretty clean, pretty clean movie, and I found it very, I found it very entertaining watching it through. It didn't feel like a slog. I was going into it this rewatch. I was thinking, if anything, it'll get slow, but no, I mean it. It didn't. I think I think it's entertaining. There, there was there was some stuff I forgot about. I love watching him going shopping. I don't know why. 
the filmmakers obviously knew that's what people would enjoy seeing because it's like, oh, a little kid being an adult. But that stuff is super entertaining to me, so I don't know. Right, especially when he's like standing in the in the line reading a magazine and he's like <laughs> and he's got the coupon even. Oh yeah, it's good. And that's kind of where Macaulay Colgan does well. As I was pulling up this movie on the moviedb.org for some of those details, it also had the covers like it pulled up the Home Alone sequels and some of the covers and looking at the covers, they all have the kid doing the pose, the hands on the cheek oh, thing. None of those kids, I look at those kids, I'm like, no, those aren't Kevin. Those, right. They, they, don't have, they, they don't have the appeal. They don't have the charisma. They're not Kevin. It's kind of crazy, too. Like, And I think we, we even were like this when we were kids that like it's kind of cool to see him put together all these little traps and whatnot. And like the, the uh, what's the clothesline? That's not the right one. Um, zip line? The zip line to his, his treehouse. I mean, that is definitely fun. That's It's got that mousetrap appeal, right? Or whatever, where you mm-hmm. just set up all this stuff. Okay, you had text. You had sent me a message, I think, while you were watching this that I want to talk about because I'm not sure I'm on board. But you said she left him at home on purpose. Yeah, she left him at home intentionally. <laughs> Who? The mom? The mom did. The mom was like, oh, say it again. You know, I wish you guys weren't here. She's like, all right, well, I'm just going to leave you here. Then. <laughs> you know. She was... I understand she was, but she was like super kind of catty. Agreed. He was being a bad, like, I get it. He was being a bad kid, but like she was super kind of catty and a little mm-hmm. extra nasty. I, th- I, f- I felt like in that scene, right. but watching it as they get into it, I'm like, she didn't intentionally leave him. I mean, maybe subconsciously left him, but you know, she wigs when she realizes it. Yeah. She's a, I feel like she did wig out enough. Like she's like, Oh, I'm back. I forgot you. Like, Oh, at the end? I think it was part of it was like she got there and was like, he's going to hate me. He's going to hate me forever. Like, I left him here. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, that could mess a kid up pretty good because it's like you forgot about me and you guys left the country, you know? (laughs) Right. So I think part of her trepidation when she got back was how mad is he going to be at me, you know, right now? And he seemed a little upset at first, but... I don't know that I buy Kevin as a real person. This sounds so stupid when I say it like that. Of course he's not. But he's kind of too grown up. And I know that's kind of the the whole thing with the movie is like, he's too grown up. It's funny. It's amusing. He's doing grown up stuff. He's buying fabric softener. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I buy it though. He's too, he's kind of too grown up where he's given, he's given like, he's given the old guy advice, the old man neighbor like sage advice it's like dude you're eight what are you talking about yeah because what do you tell him talk, talk to his son to talk to his son which i get but like the, he he uses an analogy of him being afraid of the basement and the old guy's like what's your point like the old guy doesn't get where he's going with it and it's like mm, okay it's like you wanted him to turn around but like that has nothing to do with the relationship with me and my son like i just have him like turn around like yeah it doesn't and then they just stare at them. well i mean it's obvious the point he's getting at but <laughs> Your fears are stupid. That's what he should have done. Right. We'll make this movie between, 10 times better. What? Between I said, the, I'm going to make this movie 10 times better. Okay. But why does it need to be better? Was it not good, Jasper? Tell me what the fuck you thought of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I got aggressive. 
No, I think like the I liked it for a comedy and like I mean I'm pretty sure that's what it's supposed to be is like comedy or a drama dramedy. But there's a lot of like you kind of said in the sense that like it didn't have a lot of selling points for me. It's just kind of a weird movie. Why is it weird? I just like like I said, there's not really like almost there's not even really like a plot line or like that's why I kind of say that Home Alone's not a Christmas movie because it's like you left your kid behind on Christmas like. This is more more of a documentary about child abuse <laughs> than anything. Like, you know. But this is absolutely a Christmas movie. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, obviously it is. It's Home Alone. The whole thing is like it's like Krampus. Only instead of Krampus coming and taking you all to hell, your family disappears because mm-hmm. you none of you appreciate each other. You don't understand. You don't appreciate the spirit of Christmas. You don't appreciate each other. And he learns that by the end because he's alone. And he's getting scared by robbers and an old scary old man next door. I will say, I hate that. What's his name? Marv and what? What are the robbers' name? It's Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. Harry and Marv. I hate that they make them so goofy. They're cartoon characters. They really are, and it makes sense because well, we'll get into it. But they're so over the top, dumb. They're just like the stereotypical super dumb cartoon bandits, you know, burglars. And I kind of hate it. Like that's some of the worst stuff to me. It's just them, the stuff with, with Marv, like it's, he, it's so stupid, but I feel like they had to do that for one because of the whole violence thing. If they're going to sell that the violence is okay because it's cartoony and slapstick, they got to make the characters cartoony, but also if they didn't seem like anything other than like incompetent cartoon versions of a burglar, them creeping on Kevin and trying to rob him would seem so much more horrifying than it does. Like, right. They're so stupid. you you don't ever really feel that they're going to succeed. And even though they are malicious, like at the end, he's ready to bite his fingers off apparently, but you also don't feel that they're like any real threat because they're just so dumb and cartoony. And I think if you put people in there that were like, playing it straight, like playing it as if they were like some hardened criminals, the tone of the movie would be way off. So I get why they're that way. They have to be that way for it to work. Right. I mean, okay. To be honest, obviously we are struggling with this review. I don't know why, but watching through this movie, I was watching this and actually I kind of sandwiched this with die hard. I watched half a die hard, got pulled away and then when I came back, I was like, I'm going to watch Home Alone, then I'll finish Die Hard. So I had a Die Hard Home Alone sandwich, which sounds weird. Die Alone. Tasty sandwich. Home Hard. Is, is your cinematic universe going to be called Home Hard? <laughs> it better be. Or Hard Alone. <laughs> Hard Alone, dude. Hard Alone. Hard Alone. Wow. Okay. Oh, my God. Uh <clears throat> <laughs> but okay so even watching this i knew i was home, like home hard alone i was like i don't know that i'm gonna have like because i took notes while watching die hard while watching this i just i was like i don't know that i'm really gonna have that much to say i feel like there's just not much to really talk about there beyond it's, it's home alone the mm-hmm. movie title has a, its own logo it's got the little house with the light on it and i remember that thing branded everywhere home alone was huge this movie was massive but What's the most horrific uh, little uh, assault injury that he inflicts on the burglars to you? 
I want to say the paint cans, man. Those things would hurt. Like I'm because I'm pretty sure they're supposed to be full. But there are several times, several things that would kill them. Mm-hmm. Taking a clothing iron to the head from at least a story high drop, dead. He's dead right there. Mm-hmm. Dropping from the zip line to the ground. Mm-hmm. At least broken legs. The paint can, at least a concussion, maybe fractured bones. I guess he took a tooth out, but the icy steps to the basement. God, there are some moments though that are in ground in my head. The filthy animal, the, the whole the TV bit. I loved that when I was a kid. It's so dumb, but like, you know, hit and play and pausing to like have conversations with adults through the door so they didn't know they were just talking to a kid, like the pizza man and stuff. Oh, I was going to touch on John Candy. What did you think of his little cameo bit? I like, so I've always been a fan of John Candy, one Uncle Buck, and just numerous cameos that man has made, SNL days, whatever. I think he was kind of a creeper too, but like, hey, come ride in this van with us all the way back to your house, you know? But so I kind of hate his character. Like, I, I I like John Candy fine. I thought he was okay, and he's like the perfect cast for this that kind of character. But I kind of hate that character, and I get that's the point. He's like a poker king and stuff. But that whole bit where he introduces himself to the mom, he gives the mom a ride from the airport as she's trying to get back home, and. There's a whole bit about polka, you know, the the songs, polka, 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 like that joke went on way too long. It was a bad joke and it just kept going. And that's kind of that character for me. (laughs) So I'm not, you know, I like John Candy. I don't really care for that whole bit, but it's whatever. Okay. Ratings. Oh, I'm going to go two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Two and a half. I wasn't, it's not one of my favorite movies, I'd have to say. I mean, it was... It was it was entertaining. It was it was fun to watch, but there's just I don't know. There's something missing with it. But I'd say two and a half. Okay. Oh, he's thinking. Can I take a guess? So you gave this what two and a half? Yeah, I feel like you're gonna go. What do you think my rating's gonna be? Three and a half. You're right. It is three and a half. I was so tempted. Dude, I was about to go four stars. With the caveat that that four star is 100% nostalgia rating. 100%. I, like, I don't know. I can't separate it from that. So maybe it's a terrible, maybe it's a maybe it's a one star movie. I, I feel like it's definitely not a one star movie. Your rating's probably fair. Maybe a little low. But because I feel like nostalgia aside, it's still decent. Like for what it is, it's still quality. And it had a huge impact. Culturally at the time anyway. Uh, but... That said, with nostalgia, ratches it up to the point where I can deal with the stuff that I would normally hate, that would normally like just drag a rating down for me. But since that stuff is there, trying to adjust for my, you know, probably overinflating the score from watching this a million times as a kid. Yeah, I'll go three and a half. That's fair. Three and a half is good. God, how did we not mention John Hurd? We've seen in another episode, uh, another movie this season. John Hurd was in Big. He was the crappy, like, corporate guy. Anyway, maybe that'll come up yep. into a season two finale pitch. From the rather upscale neighborhood Chicago of Chicago to the upscale business skyscrapers of, was it San Francisco? Was it L.A.? Or San Francisco. I want to say L.A. Yeah, I think so. L.A. All right. What's the next movie we're talking about, Jasper? 
Okay, we're talking about the 1988 movie Die Hard, which, in which John McClane, officer of the NYPD, tries to save his wife Holly Gennaro and several others that were taken hostage by German terrorist Hans Gruber during a Christmas party at Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. Uh, this one is directed by John McTiernan. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it was written. It's based off a novel by Roderick Thorpe. Uh, screenplay is by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza. The cast is Bruce Willis as John McClane, Bonnie Bedelia as Holly Gennaro or or Holly McClane, Reginald Bell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell, Paul Gleason as Deputy Police Chief Dwayne Robin Robinson, and Alan Rickman yes. as Hans Gruber. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman was great. Die Hard. I've seen this before. You've seen this probably multiple times. I have seen this multiple times, but you know, I've seen this a lot, but it's, this was 1988. So two years before Home Alone, like when I was younger, you know, when I was a kid, like I was like, yeah, Die Hard. It's not really, you know, I don't know. I don't know what else I wanted to watch when I was that young around the time it came out. It's probably more interested in watching Home Alone or something. You know, I like, I don't know. I enjoyed Die Hard, but it was never a movie like people love Die Hard. Now, I'm not talking about my current feelings on the movie after the rewatch. I'm just saying people love Die Hard, and I've never been able to get down with the extreme level of love this movie gets. Like, I just didn't quite understand it. How about you? I liked it for the action. Um, I don't see how I don't get it as a top tier movie. But I did thoroughly enjoy it to watch it all the way through this time because I've always either a watched it on TV or watched pieces of it. I wish there's a little bit more backstory first than there was in this kind of movie. Like kind of, they just kind of threw McLean's character in there. The action scenes were, were really cool. And then there's just some parts in there. It's just like law enforcement. They kind of show like law enforcement didn't really care. Like, I was kind of laughing at some parts where, like, the FBI agents were like, "Oh, how many hostages are going to die?" And the twenty-five percent. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, "I'm good with those numbers." Good like, with that. Well, that's a that's a good portion of people. You kind of feel like when you come into the fir- the first part of the movie that they're after John McClane, like, because he's kind of you kind of feel or like you're going to feel like oh, this is they're coming after him because he's like a decorated officer in the NYPD or something. But then he's just kind of there by uh, chance. But the way he kind of takes over the, the whole event is, is kind of cool. So on this rewatch, it's been a long time since I'd watched Die Hard. And obviously we paired that with Home Alone because there, there, there's, there's similarities in what the movies actually are, but also the whole Christmas debate. And I don't think we're going to have time to get into it, but the whole Christmas Die Hard movie debate. I am on the fence. The musical score... The score that happens in the movie has Christmas music in it. There's not saying there's Christmas music in the movie. I'm saying the score, like Home Alone, incorporates the music of the Christmas songs in the in the like writing. Anyway, so this rewatch because I I've realized at this point several people are probably tuned out and just like they don't like Die Hard. I'm not saying that. This rewatch I definitely appreciated Die Hard more than when I was younger. I feel like. I don't need more backstory to John McClane. I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I like, dude, if it was like they were after him for some reason, like that would just seem cheesy. I like the idea that like he just happened to be like for them, 
the wrong guy to have just happened to be there, you know, just the wrong guy at the wrong time because he's diehard. But uh, I feel like the movie's directed pretty well because the opening, I really like the opening. It's not, it's not what I expected. The opening has a lots of kind of quiet scenes where it feels from the very beginning, it's building tension and you don't know why. Like if you just came into this movie blind, not knowing the title of it or anything, like I think you'd get a sense that like it's building tension for some reason, but I don't know if you'd understand why, because there's scenes where it's just like him, you know, like he gets in the airport, you get a bunch of yapping from the limo driver guy who, which is kind of purely exposition, like info dump. We need to throw mm-hmm. him with like, cause John McClane's not the type of character to just randomly tell everybody his backstory. So we need to pair him up with uh, some loudmouth character who's going to get him talking so we can have a big info dump. That's the whole backstory. So I guess in some respect, I see what you're saying with you wish there was more backstory at the beginning because the way it's handled is a little sloppy, but it's it's also efficient because I don't need Mm. to see all that. I don't need to see his relationship before that. I don't need to see any of that stuff. When they first get to the, like the stuff at the beginning of the movie in the tower, in the skyscraper before the sun goes down, like during sunset, dude, it looks so good. And I don't, it's got to be matte paintings. I don't know. It looks so good. The sunset through the windows, like in all the shots in the building, it's a really well-constructed movie. The cinematography's great. It looks great. I'm going to kick it over to you for a little bit. I don't remember where I was going with any of that. There's some really good good uh, action sequences and stuff in this one. Like I kind of, I was a big fan of the, like the helicopters flying down the road mm-hmm. towards the tower. Mm-hmm. I think they did a lot of the action sequences very good, like the fight scenes and all that. And I like kind of like the close quarters, especially like close quarters and kind of hiding and, and getting around him. Like when he's poking the vents with the gun and he's like getting ready to shoot him, but he finally like pulls away, you know, to someone who hadn't seen it before. There's several things in this movie that I think would seem cliche, but I think they're cliche because this movie did it like, right. It's one of Die Hard dude was a huge, Hugely influential movie on action movies. Also another huge movie. Die Hard was massive. But it does a lot of things that have since been replicated a million times. And it kind of feels like there are action movies before. But it kind of feels like from Die Hard, like kind of changed action movies. And that went till basically till CG took over. And then you got a new age of action movies. And I like... Dude, I like how good everything looks here, how pretty much practical everything looks. There's definitely some stuff that you can tell is not real, but dude, the stuff with the elevator shafts and the duct, the elevator duct that he climbs down into, okay, it's not real, clearly, like, because it's a shaft that just seems to go down into eternity, but it looks so good. It looks so good that, like, I was super tense watching it. I'm like, I know he's not going to fall down there, but it got me into it enough to where like I was feeling that height, that height dread, man, that, that fear of like, it was making me tense. I was like, that just is horrible. What is he doing? No. And he's got the, he's hanging by the strap on the gun, which is barely wedged in the little, oh, God, it's so terrifying. So in that respect, I think it's, it's very effective. I think it's effective as an action movie. Obviously the movie and the plot is there to serve that, but I also enjoy how the, I like the characters. I like John, even though he's he's such a dude, it's Bruce Willis, but he's such a s- smart aleck. I'll say that because I can't drop the A 
weird. I like Hans Gruber because he's so like he's such a good villain. It's just that weird classy villain. Like he's super classy and together, and he like never really loses his composure at all. You've got other minor. You got the the thugs, the secondary villains for that. And then of course you know Carl Winslow. He's likable. I guess the limo driver, but he's kind of annoying to me. Yeah, that's I kind of agree with that one. And unnecessary. Like he, like I said, he's just there for exposition dump. That said, every other character, I I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Dude, the cop, the feds, and the cop, the uh, what is it? I don't was he a captain? Whatever he was, the not Carl Winslow. Like they're so over the top, ridiculous, bad cop characters that I. That's kind of the I, I get the point. That's why they're there. But like that for me, that's kind of the low point. They're so ridiculous that it drives me crazy. Yeah, they're they're kind of like really really stupid. Like he's got answers, and the one captain's like, "Oh, I don't give a crap." Basically, you know, all the time. Like they're too over. Like I think you just said they're over the top, and they're like they're over the top aggressive and like kind of stupid and like. And maybe maybe okay maybe this play, I feel like that's just how they were always played. But I, maybe this played better in 1988 but yeah the one guy comes in and like not knowing anything about the situation he's got information there about the hostage situation doesn't listen to any of it and he's like well maybe you know for all we know it could just be him and he doesn't like Mm -hmm. buy anything that the one guy's telling him that the guy inside is you know that john mcclain is radioing out i like that situation by the way too where it's just like i feel like him and carl winslow get a little too chummy but you know where he's just talking to this guy in there and you can't give him his name right away but just that the guy doesn't buy any of it and he's just like, yep, no, send him in. Just send him in. Well, yeah, let's do this. And it's like, dude, there's no way in a million years. No way in a million years. They're just going to show up, not know anything about the scene. They hear there's possibly 30 hostages and he's just like, well, we don't know that. Send them in. Send them in. No, don't buy it. So dumb. Yeah. And what does he say? He's the assistant chief of police. I don't even. Like, he had some crap. He had some title. I, I don't know what it was. So my thing would be he would have if it was if if I remember right then he would have power over the SWAT team, and be like if I say no then no. The scene that made me laugh was that the guy's sitting there on the door with the torch, and is getting shot at, and he's still sitting there with the torch like he's dedicated. He's dedicated. He's like, yep, he's getting ching. it done. Like I got it. Don't worry. As far it's as like I know, me in a video game when you know you're getting shot at, but you have to hold the button long enough just to be like no 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 just no 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 enough. I got just it just long enough. Yep. <laughs> like. It was just crazy, man. But um, those moments just was like, what? Really? Like, this can't be an actual thing. I could be wrong, but I think that guy, too. You're talking about the, like, the t- kind of the, the drill, the tech guy? Yeah. The tech guy that comes in with him? I feel like he's the only one that survives. Because he gets punched by the limo driver in the in the basement. Yeah. And that's the last time we see him. So uh, he probably survived. He's, like, the only one. Everyone else got blown up or shot. That was another thing I was laughing at, too, was the guy that guy that's getting ready to shoot the dude with the torch, the SWAT guy. And he's like, gets perched up on that counter and he's like looking down through the, at the candy. And he's like, like his eyes keep going down. He's like, takes the candy. <laughs> dude, that was actually, there are a few. Okay. So this movie's full, you know, and I said earlier, this is like, it seems like the, the first of a new gener, like a new period of action movies. And that's kind of true, but it also takes after so many other of the eighties action movies you know, because 80s was like the decade of action movies. It was, you had all the S- S- Sylvester Stallone and Arnold movies, and it was all big and over the top. 
but they were kind of goofy. And this has elements of that. And sometimes I don't think it works. Like, I don't think it works in how it portrays, like, the cops, some of the cops and the, the feds to where it's just like, they're just too stupid. But, dude, there's little moments like that. That guy, he's kind of got those scraggly long hair, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, where he's like, looks around and he's like, grabbing for the candy bar. I thought, I love that. I was like, but it just, dude, what a fun, stupid little thing to throw in there. It's so funny. And then just other, there's some other stuff that I think is amusing, like Bruce Willis's character always acknowledging the, like, the picture of the naked lady on the, like, fuse box as he walks by. He always, like, looks at it. He's like, hey, ladies, or something. Like, just him acknowledging it every time he walks by. I thought, I was like, that's funny. I kind of like the little things they throw in there because they just, like, would amuse them, you know, the filmmakers. So some of that stuff works really well. Yeah. It was just a nice little, like, funny break in the action, you know. Oh, I hate the coke guy, the coked up guy. I mean, of course, you're you're supposed to, but his character seemed – so over the top. I hated that guy. I don't really care for the wife either. She was okay. It's just, it's just there's not really much to really go on with her. She seems strongish, I guess. So that's good. Yeah, especially the anti, almost the anti-Semitic businessman. Anti- the one that he said. I forgot what he said. What is he? What the coked up guy? Is he coked up? The one that's talking to Gruber about. Yeah. Is okay. he coked up? That's... Are you serious? Yeah. Every time he shows up in a scene, it's just after he's gone. <sniffs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's ridiculous. He's a, such a dumb. He's an overtop. He's, that's who I was saying. He's such an over-the-top character. Yeah, he's like the used car salesman. Come on, baby. You got to make the deal. You know. And I was actually surprised there that they didn't. he didn't let them know that that was his wife. You know. Well, I was going to say, at least that he didn't give up Holly. He didn't give up Holly, so that's good. Right. I kind of expected him to do that, which would have been, I guess, the kind of the typical thing. So at least they didn't go with that. Okay. Bruce Willis as John McClane. What do you think? What do you think of his character? He always kind of plays that kind of role good, like the cop or action hero. I was going to say, this is like the quintessential Bruce Willis role. Like this is kind of his height, actually. Like he was still super charismatic. He's got that slight, I'm going to go ahead and say, he's got that slight smart about him which is just, that's just Bruce Willis to a T. Right, he, right. He plays it. He plays a jerk so well. He, he plays a jerk in a likable way where you're like, I kind of mm-hmm. want to hang out with that guy. But then I think if you hung out with that guy for any amount of time, you'd be like, this guy's a jerk. <laughs> but they even play on that because that's kind of the source of his marital drama, you know, in a way. No, this is like, I think this is, this is key, Bruce Willis. The other side, then we got Alan Rickman, Hans Gruber, and I don't know how accurate his accent is because he's not, you know, he's, is he, is he English? I think he's English. I always say so. But he's, that's, so that's, you know, that said, I, I love his, his performance in this too. And I know for a long time, this is kind of what he was known for. Especially when he's like caught as a bad guy. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I was just up here. No, please not. Like, it's not even that. His, his Hans Gruber, like, his impression of an Eastern European accent trying to do an American accent was hilarious. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Or when he's like, I like when he's getting a list of demands. And the last one he says, I don't know. I read that in the Reader's Digest or something. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And when you do finally get them together, I, I enjoy the dynamic because it definitely sets up that Bruce Willis is playing along, but he knows something's up because he doesn't tell him who he was there with. He doesn't give him a loaded gun. 
I just think those two characters are handled well. And the few times, like the the one sequence where they're really interacting for any period of time, I think plays so well that it ad- definitely adds an interesting dynamic to it. Like the tension is played well there. I do like that he gives him the unloaded gun. So I do have some notes I want to blow through here. Mm-hmm. Here's some notes. It goes through till the introduction of Carl Winslow. My first note, armed on a plane. Sure, he's a cop, but that I, I'm, you know, this is probably different in 1988. This, this is well before 9-11, but armed on a cop or armed on a cop, armed on a plane. Armed on a cop. <laughs> armed on a plane seems so strange to me now. And I know like there are agents that can take, can be armed on a plane. Like that's kind of their thing. But random New York police, like cop, no. Pregnant lady says, asked if it's okay if she has a few drinks. And the lady's like, Yo, you deserve a whole bottle. <laughs> like, so we're going to get a drunk pregnant lady. I thought that was humorous. Mm-hmm. Christmas music, specifically Christmas rap, is like the first music in the movie. Huh. Seems like a Christmas movie would do something like that. Uh-huh. The musical score has Christmas music in it. See, I mentioned that one, I mentioned that one, and mentioned that one. That was it. That was my main points. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm just going to watch this. I'm into it. (laughs) I feel like the movie, like, it looks so good at the beginning, and then once it gets into it, it doesn't look bad. It looks good, but it's ugly. But it's only ugly because the setting becomes ugly. Because most of the movie, I really appreciate that it's John McClane, and he's, like, literally crawling through the inner workings of of this building. Like you see this big fancy building, it looks nice, but then once you get into it and he's like climbing through elevator shafts and air vents and hanging out on floors that they're still working on. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating, you know, just the the look of the look of this unfinished building or this part of this, the parts of this building that are just completely utilitarian where it's just like it's not supposed to be pretty. Public's never supposed to be in here. This is like behind the scenes of the building, you know, you're in the inner workings of it. And I like that so much of his stuff takes place in that. So on the one hand, it doesn't look as good as like beautiful sunsets through the, through the windows, but like, it's still an interesting look. Also, right. The lens flares get real intense towards the end of the movie. <laughs> this is like, this is like pre JJ JJ Abrams, like pulled a lot from this. <laughs> Is that the Enterprise? No. <laughs> Once they open the vault, they're, they're, it's just like all lens flares going on. There's so many. Right. I feel like the relationship with the with Carl Winslow, the buddy cop, is a little bit over the top. A little bit over the top. I can see that, yeah. But, you know, whatever. Rating. I want to say three and a half. I'm going to give it four. And I feel like people love this movie. So I'm sure a lot of people would be upset that I didn't give it like five. But I think it's a... I think it's a great action movie. I do. I think it's a very entertaining movie. It's still kind of plagued with some of the super cliche. And I know that's the point. It's not supposed to be anything, but, but it's still plagued with some of the cliche old action movie stuff. And, uh, you know, that's okay. I don't need it. So whatever, but four stars, like, cause I still think it's great. I love the interplay between basically John McClane and anyone. Whenever he's talking to anybody on the radio, whether it's Hans Gruber, I love that stuff. I love their interplay. Or even his cop buddy, even though I feel like their relationship's over the top, I still enjoy the interplay. It's 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 
it's a uh, you know it's fun to listen to right there's a lot of iconic stuff in this movie definitely more so than home alone home alone had like a bigger thing a bunch of stuff that stuck around in pop culture for a long time but i think die hard has a ton of stuff that will stick around in pop culture and definitely movie making language in the movie making language for like mm, ever maybe you know so mm-hmm. yeah i think it's great four stars four stars and now for a special intermission from neil and johnny drink in the park "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all over the house, not the creature was stirring, not even the mouse. The milk crates were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Little Neil was all nestled in his tartar-shaped bed, while visions of rock-collecting danced in his head. Neil's mom in her nightie and I in my DJ hat had just settled our munchies for a long winter's nap. When on the lawn, there arose a big clatter. I jumped out of my bed to see what was the matter. Over to the window, I ran like a flash. Opened the shutters and hid my stash. The streetlights on the sidewalk made all the garbage show. When what to my whacked-out eye should appear but a friggin' red sled and eight magic reindeer. Where did this wiry driver come from? I knew then and there it might be Neil Young. Faster than Camaros, his magic horses, they came... And he whistled and hollered and called them by name. Now Masher, now Rancer, now Branson, now Lixen. On Crumpet, on Stupid, on Bonner, on Vixen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. So up to the housetop, Neil's magic horses they flew. With a sleigh full of toys and Neil Young too. When in a twinkling I heard on the roof, the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. I drew in my head and was like turning around. Down the chimney Neil Young came, pound by pound. He was dressed in Brooks Brothers from head to his foot, and his clothes they was covered with ashes and soot. A bundle of rocks was flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening up his pack. His eyes how they twinkled, his dimples how merry, his cheeks were red as his nose, probably from drinking sherry. His funny little mouth was like an emocon, and the beard on his chin was as lame as that of a fawn. An electronic vape he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a reef. He had a broad face with the build of a nerd. This guy is Santa? Now that's absurd. He slipped me at 20, and I did pretend without rest to make him my friend, though not my best. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the milk crates, and then turned like a jerk. And laying his finger just up his nose, giving a nod, Sup. Sup. Up the chimney he rose. With speed and passion on the sleigh he did jump. As for a certain 80s TV star we'd both like the hump. And I heard him exclaim as he flew out of sight, Happy Christmas to all! And to all, a good night! So the movie studios are looking for a surefire holiday season hit. They want something that will appeal to both families and dads, specifically the families and the dads. How could they combine Home Alone with Die Hard in one cinematic universe? It's home Hard. Die Hard? Wait, no, it already is Die Hard. No, no. 
<laughs> I thought you just leave him the way, but it sounds so funny. Die hard, home alone. Home alone. Home hard. Home hard. Uh, die alone. That's a depressing entry. These are all different movies in the cinematic universe. Yeah, die alone. Home hard. Alone hard. Oh, we've all left that in our life, haven't we? Oh, oh. Uh, so you, Jasper, you are toting some cinematic universe that's going to blow me away. What you got? Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I want to okay. hear this. Okay, so what we find out, this is like the like the, 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 the wheeling up of the Avengers, okay? This movie is going to be two hours long, okay? Okay. What we find out is Hans Grubar was after those, I think, what they say, those were like parabons? Para anyway, the guy's, the guy's money mm-hmm. in the tower. You gotta think outside the box of these two movies. And also all come together. What he needed that money for was later down the road, he had this project to go inside this mountain in Finland. Okay. And he was looking, he's looking for something. We, we go a couple years <laughs> and, and we're at the home alone. Well, you know, he says, I don't want to have a family tomorrow when I wake up. You guys would all just be gone. And he says it. And she says, say it again. And then he says it so loud that it goes out the window. And the message carries into the sky, the sound of it. And it's heard by Krampus. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we were tying all of our December movies together. <laughs> I kind of have to. Okay. Okay. So, no, I won't. I won't question <laughs> it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> so, so what we do is we get to the third movie, which is Die Home Alone. Okay. But, but what it is actually is Bruce Willis's character, which was John McClane, has figured out the plot of Gruber finding basically Krampus in the mountain in Finland. What was it? Harry and uh, the two bandits are Krampus's like minions. And they were going around and grabbing, if you remember, he was putting snow globes on the dashboard of the van. And he was going around and getting the families and putting them in the little snow globes. And he was trying to get to this one. Well, Kevin held him off. (laughs) Okay. Kevin held them off, and then John McClane comes to talk to Kevin, and what happens is the whole family, it's Christmas again, the whole family is there, and what happens is John McClane and Kevin try to hold off Krampus when Krampus kills everybody but those two. Why did John McClane go to talk to Kevin McAllister? Because, (laughs) because Because Kevin was the only one that was successful enough to hold off the minions of Krampus. Okay, okay. So basically the third movie is them defending the house from Krampus and his minions. Wow. Okay. <laughs> or are they going to do like a combination of booby traps and like hiding in mm-hmm. air ducts and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, okay. A couple things. First off, I did not expect you to like tie all of the December movies into it. <laughs> so you got Krampus and, and, uh, Rare Exports and Die Hard and Home Alone in there. Listener, if you didn't listen to our last episode, you should. It's great. But a couple things. Krampus, the movie Krampus and Home Alone work shockingly well together because it's the almost the exact same setup. Mm-hmm. 
the other thing is I really like your tie between Die Hard and Rare Exports. That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. That's really yeah. great. I feel like, oddly enough, the biggest stretch connecting those movies is Die Hard and Home Alone for me. <laughs> of all the right. movies you tied into it, those are the two. I'm like, wait, why did John McClane go over there? <laughs> yeah. Because he becomes like a, sec- a, spe- not a secret agent, a special agent. And he's f- trying to figure out how Kevin held him off. That's how I was trying to work it. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I did that was or what why I thought about that is because if you saw after he makes a wish the wind kicks up outside and like rattles the windows I was like that's Krampus man <laughs> I did notice that like after that everyone goes to sleep and it's got that like creepy feel and I I was like why is this all of a sudden like feel like it's a, going supernatural like it's a supernatural occurrence that's happening Mm-hmm. It's not. It's just, you know, the power gets the tree branch falls on some things, but I like the way it's presented. But no, you're right. I didn't even like I didn't quite make that connection, but it is the same. It's like the same thing. Same exact setup. Okay, so as always, there's a couple of ways we could go with this. I'm going to restrict myself to the movies in question. So Die Hard and Home Alone. God, there's a couple of ways to do this. I kind of like the idea of before our cinematic universe actually like before it comes together, it was actually already together and, and that you just didn't know it yet because there's a Home Alone movie that nobody knows about. It's actually a prequel to Home Alone. It's Home Alone Lost in L.A. And it's it's a six-year-old Kevin McAllister in the building during the all the diehard stuff going on. And while... <laughs> Well, John McClane, for some reason, they decided maybe it was too goofy. It didn't fit the tone of Die Hard, so they cut it out. I bet this is how I bet this is how it happened. So they cut it out. I'm just inventing like history now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so while while John McClane's running around through the elevator shafts and all this, like you know, murdering, <laughs> murdering uh, terrorists. Well, they weren't terrorists though. They were just burglars, basically. <gasps> they were just burglars. They were just there to steal. They weren't actually terrorists. They weren't ideologically motivated. So while he's running around murdering people and blowing up floors of this building, we got a a young Kevin McAllister. He's running around and, you know, setting up traps and having run-ins with the random European thug guys that are always around. (laughs) <laughs> don't tell me, don't tell me the guy, the long haired guy in Die Hard who's like sneaks the candy bar while he's sitting there waiting to shoot at the SWAT team. Don't tell me he wouldn't fit into a home alone. He would. Eventually, I want it to work out so that I want them both in a building, siege style, defending the building from attackers, obviously, where they're setting up traps. Kevin McAllister's traps will be like, I mean, Hans Gruber even, well, okay, so. Die Hard was first, but Hans Gruber even took a note from Home Alone's playbook or the other way around, I guess, where he had him shoot all the glass because John had to walk around on his bare feet on the glass. Home Alone, he puts the ornaments down at the windowsill. Somehow he apparently knew the one guy would be coming through without shoes. (laughs) It's the same. It's the same thing. It's the same movie. (laughs) That's an interesting theory, and I watch these pretty close together, but I bet if you like really studied it, I wonder how many connections there are between Die Hard and Home Alone. Right. Like the part where he throws 
the clothing iron down the uh, the clothes chute. Mm-hmm. That's an obvious parallel to when John McClane threw the C4 down the elevator shaft. It is. I see it. <laughs> I see. I see it. I got it. <laughs> so here's the question, though: Do we go with? Do we age Kevin McAllister up for for when they finally get a team up, or do we keep it like that weirdly one sided where it's obviously like a grown man shooting people in the face and Kevin McAllister? Arguably being much more brutal, but in a cartoony childlike way. Because McAllister maims those guys. Mm-hmm. John McClane's at least straight to business. Like there's a couple kind of gnarly deaths in that movie, but for the most part, he's just going to shoot him or whatever he needs to do to get the situation over with. I think Kevin McAllister's far more brutal. Yeah. In fact, alternate take. I got something. Alternate take. Maybe the studios don't like that idea. I got a backup. Here's the idea. Home Alone 3, the real Home Alone 3, not any of the, you know, we're bringing Macaulay Colgan back. He's, he's doing stuff. He's all over YouTube right now, pimping his new website, which is strange. But we bring him back. He's older. We got a grizzled John McClane, still a cop, still in New York. He didn't end up moving to, with his wife to L.A., Actually, after since like her boss is dead, I don't know that she has a job, so she probably just moved back to New York. So we get the real Home Alone 3 lost in New York again. Only Kevin's not really lost there. He lives there, but he's lost his mind in New York. And he lives in, he's squatting in this old building that he's turned into a saw-like death trap from door to door. So basically, he's Jigsaw or whoever the guy's name is because he's just like obsessed with setting up these traps and he's like, if anybody tries to come in my house, you know, and like, it's just this death trap. And eventually the cops get alerted to it. So you have John McClane attempting to traverse this horrible death trap of a house that a mentally unsound older Kevin McAllister has set up. I actually like that idea a lot more. That's the one I'm pitching. That one. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board with that movie and it will be Christmas, but also Halloween too. Sometimes. The franchises. <laughs> I don't know how many, how many movies they, no kidding, stretched like eight, nine movies out of the Saw franchise. We can get a couple, couple holiday movies out of this McAllister versus McLean. What is that? Because you could, you could make it like a Halloween, like Kev, Kevin and John McLean Easter. <laughs> Easter? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's when the franchise really starts to like scrape in the bottom of the barrel. Or like all the when it really starts to get them? good. Pipe bombs. Kevin seems like a pipe bomb type of guy. You know, it's got to have shrapnel. It's got to do the maximum damage. It can't just be a simple explosion. That's what I was about to say. He, he, he would have Easter like eggs out in the lawn, but they're actually landmines. I don't know. What do you think? So I like his jigsaw aspect. I think he is jigsaw. I, I kind of actually really like the idea of older... You know, he's been abandoned by his family one too many times. He just never really ended up getting his act together. He just kind of went further and further off the deep end. He only ever befriends older. He only befriends older people, like elderly. He does in the first two movies. You think John McClane's old enough to be one of those uh, elderly people he befriends before? He's probably supposed to be in his 40s, almost 50s at that moment. In Die Hard? Yeah. I wouldn't say 50s. 
Almost I'd say 40. 40s at least. Let's see. How old was he? Let me find out. I don't know. I don't know if he was 40. I mean, well, he might have been 40. He was born in 1955. Bruce Willis. He was only 33? Yeah, I knew he wasn't quite 40 yet. Well, I was saying like more his character. I think his character was supposed to be in his 40s, but I'm not sure. I don't think they thought two seconds about how old his character is supposed to be. It's like it's Bruce Willis. <laughs> we don't care how old he is. So, while we're here, Jasper, Home Alone, is it a Christmas movie? No, Die Hard. Do you think it's a Christmas movie? And why or why not? I... Mm. You had strong words about it last episode. You said it's not a Christmas movie. You just wanted to be contrarian. But the problem is... My my belief... I'm contrarian that... on this as myself, so you don't know which way to flop. <laughs> my belief is that a Christmas movie does not have definite. could have a little bit of violence, i.e. Home Alone Christmas Story. Whoa, 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 whoa. Have you seen Gremlins? Next year... Not that I remember. Oh, my God. Next year we're doing Gremlins for sure. We almost did it this year, listener, but next year we're doing we Gremlins. We saved you. Well, I didn't want to burn through all the holiday classics. <laughs> saved you. Gremlins is amazing. Yeah, I was waiting for you to catch that. <laughs> oh, this guy. Santa. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so, okay, okay. Let me back up then. Let me think of another one. Krampus. Christmas movie. It's Krampus, Jasper. Rare Exports. Christmas movie. You know the movie about Krampus and the Santa elves where people die? Yeah. Yeah. Those have death. Now, that's kind of hard because... The story, the moral, the Christmas moral... And if some some people, you know, I could see people making the argument, well, it's got to have like the Christmas, the spirit of Christmas, you know, it's got to have the moral. Krampus had that moral. Yeah, don't be a jerk on Christmas. Yeah, same morals as Home Alone. <laughs> like, don't leave your kid home alone. Or like, well, well, yeah, he was being a jerk. Never mind. It was more for him, not the whole family. Krampus was like kind of for everybody, but also still for him. The kid. So Home Alone was like reverse Krampus. <laughs> A little bit. Not saving, not saving the kid this time, but saving the family. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Where Where are you on this? You said you're on the fence with Die Hard. No, keep keep talking. Like I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just you you threw out one poss- one reason why it's not, and I blew that out of the water instantaneously. Why else is it not a Christmas movie? Instantaneously, <laughs> and for like five minutes now, I've been blowing that thing out of the water. Battleship. <laughs> I. Hmm. I mean, it's like, yeah, okay, you said, like, the the score has Christmas songs in it, but it's not, it's like, almost like Christmas party, and not really centered around, per se, Christmas. What are Christmas parties centered around? <laughs> Christmas? <laughs> Do you ever have a Christmas party in, in June? Easter? Yeah. In March, to celebrate May Day? No, I don't. Okay, the, well, this is not, this is not as fun as I had hoped. Why is this such an, a weird argument to get into? Me, Mel, I don't. I know I've said this on Grolix before, on Grolix Prime, but I don't know if I've said it on GCU here. Melanie and I once, she's very much anti-Die Hard as a Christmas movie. And I'll reveal my true feelings here in a moment. But I took the stance then because I was like, well, this is a fun conversation. It is a Christmas movie. It takes place during Christmas, Christmas music. It's it's Christmas Eve. Like, it's, this is a Christmas movie. We got 
she got real mad and we got <laughs> like kind of in a yelling fight about it. And there's like a handful of times we've ever been in like yelling fights. And I'm, I think one of those times was about Die Hard being a Christmas movie, which I was shocked. And I eventually was like, why? I don't even know if I think it's actually a Christmas movie. Why are you yelling? Why are you so mad? So this is a weird conversation. People get weird about it. I know I did say this on Grolix. It might have been a pre-show. But recently, I watched just a god-awful Comedy Central roast. What happened to that show? It was never great to begin with, but wow, it's really bad now. Anyway... They did the roast of Bruce Willis and his big, like, you know, when he finally comes up and spits some fire back at everybody else, but his big, like, crescendo to his little speech was, and finally, Die Hard is not an effing Christmas movie. So Bruce Willis feels like Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Now, when I think about it, my real feelings, I think Die Hard is a Christmas-themed movie. I don't know that it's actually a Christmas movie. It kind of is, but it's kind of not. It's not like about Christmas. It's not necessarily about... See, and Melanie even took the argument further that Gremlins is not a Christmas movie. But Gremlins, the entire plot revolves around a Christmas gift. And it takes place on... Gremlins is 100% Christmas movie. Die Hard, (laughs) dude, yeah, there's a Christmas party, but like, there's not really much tied to Christmas other than... I don't know. Other than like everything other than the score and numerous references to Christmas and the fact that it takes place around Christmas and the fact that they're at a Christmas party. Maybe it is a Christmas movie. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't make it. Even though I'm a huge fan too of the, of the universe, I can tell you that star Wars is not a Christmas. movie. <laughs> oh, dude, Melanie dropped that on me at one point and we, yeah, we rehashed it recently on Grolix. I, there was I put a clip on our social media. If you listener, if you haven't visited us, our social media, go to go to the Facebook page. Maybe that's the easiest way to find the video clips. Go to Facebook.com/slash Grolix Podcast and click the video tab. You can see our like quote unquote best of clips. Dude, that was pretty good because she knew where I was going. Melanie says Star Wars is a Christmas movie. Star Wars has no Christmas elements in it whatsoever. Die Hard at least has. It's a Christmas skin on an action movie. Star Wars has none of it. Her reasoning, she watched it during Christmas every year. I could watch, dude, I could watch, oh, what's a horrible movie? I could watch Deliverance, not like as in a horrible experience movie. I could watch Deliverance every year for Christmas. I still don't know if I'd hazard to, hazard to call it a Christmas movie. Right. I, 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 there's no Christmas, I can't see any Christmas elements to it. They're not even in a universe that knows what Christmas is. They have, what do they have? They have Life Day or whatever. You want Star Wars Christmas. Maybe she was talking about the Star Wars Christmas special. You ever seen that or clips of that? Mm-mm. Oh, it looks so bad. Anyway, hey, listener, what do you think of Die Hard or Star Wars or Deliverance as a Christmas movie? Or Deliverance? Jeez, that right back in there. That's not. That is not Christmas. I don't know. They learned an important lesson. Well, that's it. That's it. That's it for our Christmas talk. We'll be back in just a week. One week. That's our Christmas gift to you. That's our New Year's gift to you. That's our holiday season gift to you. We'll be back in one week with a special episode, a special New Year's Eve episode. 
because everybody, like this episode on Christmas Eve, everybody's going to be at home to listen to that episode on New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, no, we're dude. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it, Jasper. Uh, we're going to talk about some uh, some of, the, of our favorite moments of the podcast from 2018. Uh, maybe talk about what we want to do for 2019. And uh, we're going to play some some clips of our. It's going to be a little clip show. A lot of talking. It's not all clip show, but it's going to be a little clip show. Play some of our favorite clips. moments. Clips, clips. Take a, a trip through the past, 2018. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to drop that. We're not going to wait till our next regular episode. That's going to drop in one week. In fact, Grolix Podcast and GCU are both going to have a New Year's Day special, New Year's Eve specials. So prepare your ear holes. <laughs> and then, Jasper, you know what? This is super exciting. This is episode 19. Do you know what that means? The next episode is the season two finale. Yes. The first episode of 2019 is going to be the season two finale. That means, listener, I want... God, we were calling... Send us Christmas movies. No, listener, I want to hear from you. For real. Send us an audio recording. Send us an email. Send us a Twitter message. You know, whatever. Tweet us whatever you want to do. But like we did for season one, we're going to present a whole bunch of pitches combining any and all movies that we've covered in season two. You can pick from any movie starting with episode 11, which was seven and Hellraiser up to this episode. That whole bunch of 18 movies there combine any of them. I want to hear your pitches. We did it last season. It was awesome. It was hella fun. And I think, I think the season could be even better. How would you combine the movie Jack starring Robin Williams with Hellraiser or the devil's candy? Could be a fun one (laughs) or seven Jack with seven. Oh my God. That's a little scary. Home alone with seven that home alone and die hard with seven. See, that's what we need to do. That's what it's going to be. I was going to say earlier that maybe Kevin turns into the guy from Seven, Kevin Spacey's character. I can see that. Yeah. Maybe that'll be a pitch. I'm excited. Send us what you got. I'll start putting the word out on on our socials So to remind you. So what you need to do, listener, is go to facebook.com slash Grolix podcast or go to our Grolix podcast group, the Facebook group. Just throw groups in there. You'll find it. Or at GCU podcast on Twitter. Or if you have your pitch already, email it to us at letters as in letters, that thing people used to send before the E just the regular mail letters at grolixpodcast.com. It's G R A W L I X podcast.com. I've been Randall Sylvie. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Sylvie, R A N D A L S I L V E Y, or go to randallsylvie.com. Or hit up the Grolix Twitter that I already mentioned. How about you, Jasper? Who are you? Well, this is bit. <laughs> this has been Jasper. You can catch me on Twitter at Gronzo Media, which is K O R A N S O M E D I A. Can yeah, catch me there. Is that like regular Twitter, or is Twitter something else? Is that the that's new social totally media? Different. Do I not know that's that totally one different yet? Social media. Was it? It's yes. probably all elitist and exclusive. Mm-hmm. It's all the fabulous people. You get pay membership. Yourself. You get pay membership. Yep. You got you got golds, 
gold, platinum, and glitter. Glitter level. Sweet. <laughs> you like a glitter every bomb. Every time you tweet, every time you tweet, glitter bomb. Like actual glitter out of the phone. Yes. It would ruin everything. Happy holiday. <laughs> And then whatever the next morning, do I really need to explain the plot to Home Alone? I think I think everybody knows it. <laughs> do they? Okay, thank God, because I don't want to. I don't want to explain the plot. 